did we find Acts 26 yet? Okay, Paul is standing before King Agrippa. He is King Herod's grandson. Um, He is uh, an interesting man. Uh, From what we know about him, uh, he is uh, is a little more level-headed than his grandfather and his father were. His father was the Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded. He also had James executed. His grandfather was the King Herod that tried to have Jesus slaughtered when he was a a, a toddler uh, and so forth. Um, History is a little kinder about Agrippa, uh, this man, uh, other than the fact that he did marry his youngest sister, uh, which is is, um, just kind of what one of the things that was done in that family at that time. Royalty often did that in those, those ancient times. Uh, Agrippa, being uh, someone that was raised in that region of the world, uh, had a better understanding of Jewish culture, the Jewish religion. And this man, uh, Agrippa, had a better understanding of Christianity than anybody that Paul has stood before so far. The Roman uh, captain, uh, Claudius Lysias, he had no understanding whatsoever of what it was all about. Uh, Festus, who was a Roman governor... I'm sorry, Felix, who was a Roman governor, he listened to Paul for about two years. They would commune together often. We know he was under conviction, but as a Roman, uh, it seems like he had a hard time putting two and two together. Uh, Eventually, um, he just said, you know, when I have a convenient time, uh, I'll call for you. I'll get saved. And he put it off. And uh, then he was recalled back to Rome. He was replaced by another Roman named Festus, who had even less understanding of the Jews and Christians than did Felix. And um, so Paul ends up uh, before King Agrippa for his final trial in in the region of Palestine. Um, And we started last week, we saw that uh, in uh, verse 1, Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, for, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews. Um, Paul's, Paul was always very respectful to those he stood before. He's falsely imprisoned. He's been two years held on trumped up charges of which there's been no proof. Felix should have released him two years prior. Festus should have released him. But both of them willing to do a favor to the Jews uh, just left him in custody. And uh, Paul could be getting impatient now. I'm not sure about you. When I'm starting to get impatient, I'm not the nicest person in the world. You know, uh, Paul could do that, but he maintained civility. Uh, he spoke very, uh, very uh, properly before this man Agrippa. He shared his testimony um, in, in the, the first several verses down through, if you will, verse number 11. And uh, he, he talks about his, his background as a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. Uh, he talked about how there was a day he persecuted believers, the people of this way, thinking he was doing God's service and doing right. Verse 11, he says, I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. Being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. 
in Acts 9, the Bible says that he was breathing out threatening and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Um, he wasn't trying to be a bad person. He actually thought he was doing the service of the Lord. He was a very sincere man, but he was, he was not a grounded man. It was not sincerity mingled with truth. In verse number 12, um, he talks about um, his, his encounter with the Lord Jesus. Whereupon as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. For all of his anger against these Christians, he was under conviction at the exact same time. That's what it means, kicking against the pricks. The Holy Spirit's pricking his heart uh, about the message of these people uh, and so forth. And, and even though he's fighting against it, the Lord revealed, it's, it's hard, isn't it? You're not uh, finding this as easy as you thought it would be. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of, those, of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. This is new information for us. Chapter number nine, we had just the, the very briefest uh, statements about the encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. But here he reveals that there was more in that conversation. And uh, Saul of Tarsus found out that... Um, God had a plan for his life, and uh, God was going to make him into a servant of the Lord, a minister, a preacher um, of what happened to him on that uh, day on the road to Damascus and uh, other things that God was going to show him. Verse 17, he says, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. He's promising him protection. I'm going to take care of you. He's also letting him know the scope of his ministry. He will not just be a preacher to the Jewish people. He is going to be a minister to the Gentiles. And that was one thing that was going to get Paul into a lot of trouble. It already has. Uh, every time he mentions the Gentiles to a Jewish group of people, they get furious at him. Uh, when he was speaking uh, that first day when there was the riot in Jerusalem and the captain uh, quieted the people and Paul shared his testimony, they listened in utter silence till he mentioned God sent me to the Gentiles. And then they just went crazy. This man shouldn't live away with this man uh, and so forth. In his missionary journeys, we've already seen the same thing, uh, that he always went to the synagogue first. He had a burden for the Jewish people. They were his people. He wanted them to be saved, but God had given him a ministry that would go beyond that uh, to the Gentiles. Verse number 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. You understand this all happening on the road to Damascus. So on the day that he gets saved, he also gets called to preach. Um, and he yields to that. 
he's, he's still blind at this point. He's going to go into Damascus, as we learned in chapter 9. He'll meet a Christian named Ananias who will lay hands on him. He'll receive his sight, and he'll immediately uh, start preaching the, the, the gospel to the, the folks there in the city of Damascus. But notice how the Lord explains his ministry again in verse 18, to open their eyes. Unsaved people don't see the truth. They don't understand. The Bible says in Corinthians that the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Um, how many have ever witnessed to somebody and you've done your best to explain it uh, as clearly as you can? You've given the scriptures to the best of your, your ability and they just kind of look blankly at you like I don't get it. Has that ever happened to anybody and you just sort of wonder why? Um, we need to be careful we don't get frustrated with people. We need to understand uh, they've been blinded. Uh, they're, they're blinded by all the isms of this world. And, uh, you know, it may be a religion that they were brought up in or just the philosophies of our world have grabbed a hold of them. And uh, they think they're right. They think that they're fine like, like Saul of Tarsus did. He thought that he was doing the will of God and he was completely ignorant of the fact he was fighting against the Lord the entire time. When we're going so winning, we need to understand that we need the power of the Lord with us because you and I can't open people's eyes. God can do that though. And we need God. I don't care whether you're going into the prison with Brother Buddy, whether you're knocking on doors on a bus route, whether you're witnessing to a co-worker or a friend or a family member, we need God's power to open their eyes. He says to turn them from darkness to light. To turn them from darkness to light. Turn back to John 3 for a moment, please. John chapter 3. As Paul shares God's call to him from that very first day, we're getting also a glimpse. This is the work of a soul winner. Um, verse 16, for God so loved the world. This is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought in God. You must understand the world that we live in today is no different than the day of the Apostle Paul. Uh, this lost world is in darkness. They don't understand the light of the gospel. They don't understand that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And uh, our ministry is to turn people from darkness to light. Um, people don't always like that. Uh, John told us that uh, men love darkness rather than light. Why? Their deeds are evil. They don't want to give up their sin. They, they, they don't want any change on that. Um, have you ever uh, 
like in the in, first thing in the morning, you walk into the bathroom, you sort of stumble your way in and then you flick the light on. And is it a little painful? Just a little bit? Uh, it's like, oh man, it, it's a little bright. Any migraine sufferers here? Any people here deal with migraines? A lot of different uh, aspects of a migraine. When I get one, I'm very sensitive to light. Um, I've spent uh, several times, weeks at a time in the hospital with the blinds drawn, wearing sunglasses, the lights out, the door closed because any light at all was painful. And sometimes when we're sharing the gospel and we're proclaiming truth, the world responds almost painfully, uh, very sharply about that because they're in darkness and light to them is almost an offensive thing. That's why sometimes no matter how nice we try to be about our sharing of the gospel, our stand on scriptural matters, the world will say that we're hateful, that, you know, all all this kind of stuff. Truth is, we don't hate people. Now, we hate sin. We're supposed to hate that. Uh, But anybody that stands up against sin today is labeled a hater and a hate monger and all those kind of things. Uh, And we get get upset about that, but that's the way people in darkness are. And Paul said, I'm sending you out there to turn people from darkness to light. You and I need to realize that's the scope of our mission as well. He said, from the power of Satan unto God. Keep your place here. Turn to Ephesians 2. Brother Matt Gerber took us here uh, Sunday night in a great message. Ephesians chapter 2. You have he quickened. Remind us, what's the word quickened mean? Made alive, we were dead in sins and trespasses, spiritually dead, and he's made us alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Um, We need to to keep this in mind that the world is blinded to the truth. They're blinded to the light. They're under the power of Satan. Satan, by the way, does not like to let go. He does not let go without a fight. Uh, How many have ever been soul winning, trying to share the gospel with someone and all of a sudden, the phone rings, uh, the, the, so there's a knock at the door, the kids start fighting. It's it just like every, every problem that could happen, happens. How many have, have experienced that? That's because there's a spiritual warfare. Satan doesn't want, want to let go uh, on those things. And Paul is reminding uh, um, Agrippa of that, sharing his own call to preach there, um, and, and, and when we go out, that's what we're doing, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. We're not out there to turn people into Baptists. Now, I know why I'm a Baptist, and I, I believe it's a, biblical, it's a biblical stand and so forth, but we're out there to help people come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and find forgiveness of their sins. That is first and foremost, uh, that they may receive forgiveness of sins an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. The Jewish people thought that they were the only ones God loved. 
They thought they, they were the chosen. And by the way, they are the chosen people of God. Uh, that's a statement. That's a biblical statement. But by the time of Christ, they saw that God only loved them and that there was no place uh, for the Gentiles. That would be most of us, if not all of us, the Gentiles to find forgiveness uh, or, if you will, inheritance with God. Uh, as far as they were concerned, Gentiles were lost, would die, spend eternity separated from God. And as Jews, by just nature of their bloodline, they were, they were Jewish people, the seed of Abraham, they were all set. They were good to go. Uh, they didn't realize that you needed to have your sins forgiven. You had to be born again in order to be saved. But they also didn't understand that the gospel was meant for the Gentiles as well. Um, and uh, in the early days, they had a real problem with that. Even the, even the early church had a hard time with Gentiles getting saved. Remember the church at Antioch, Acts chapter 11, when they went there, that was, that was the world's first almost entirely Gentile church. The, they sent apostles up there to, to make sure that this was for real and God sent the Holy Ghost onto those people and they understood, okay, the gospel's for the Gentiles as well. So Paul is understanding the ministry that God has called him to. Instead of persecuting people, he's going to preach to people. Instead of pursuing Christians and throwing them in jail, he's going to pursue people and try to turn them into Christians by, by preaching Christ to them. Verse number 19, we see his conversion. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus, and at Jerusalem, and throughout all the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. It's one thing to know what God wants us to do. It's another thing to do it. Um, I don't think I need to ask the question uh, here, but, uh, you know, such as, how many of you know you're supposed to be a witness for Jesus? How many know you're supposed to tell everybody around you uh, that you can how to be saved? We all know that. Question is, do we do it? How many know we're supposed to read our Bible? How many know we're supposed to pray? How many know we're supposed to serve the Lord? We all know the answers to those questions, but we can't always say that, uh, that we are not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Paul said, I hit the ground running. This is what God told me to do. And uh, we know that's exactly what he did. Briefly, turn back to Acts chapter 9. This is where it all happened. Everybody still calls him Saul of Tarsus. Verse 20, he's received his sight from um, Ananias and straightway. That means immediately. He didn't wait around, didn't put it off. He preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he which, that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. So Paul did exactly what he's talking to Agrippa about. Um, he's basically saying, God changed my life. God changed my direction. God changed my entire purpose. And he went from a man breathing out threatening and slaughter to a man that breathed out the love of God 
and the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere that he went. Paul was one of those unstoppable Christians. Uh, And before we're done with the book of Acts, we're going to see him uh, go through some very, very difficult times. We know his testimony. Uh, He's going to end up spending the last years of his life in a Roman prison um, uh, in in horrible conditions, but he's never going to stop sharing Christ. He's going to lose his popularity. We'll look, as, as Paul shares, all they which are in Asia, he said, are turned away from me. Asia is where Ephesus was. He pastored there for nearly three years. Uh, Asia is where uh, the churches in Revelation, uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, Sardis, and so forth, all of those churches were, all of those churches were established from Paul's ministry in Ephesus. The Bible said, and we already studied it in Acts, that all they which were in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jew and Gentile. But by the time Paul is ready to go to heaven, he says, all they which be in Asia have turned against me. His popularity has waned, but his message hasn't changed even a little bit. Paul was an incredible human being. How many have heard the name Billy Sunday? Okay, Billy Sunday was a professional baseball player. He played for the Chicago White Stockings. They're now the White Sox. Um, He was known uh, for his ability to steal bases. He was so fast uh, and so forth. And uh, and people would just come to see him. But uh, Billy Sunday, as a younger man, was an alcoholic. Uh, He was well on the way to destroying his career, his health, his family, all of that. And one night he stumbled by the Pacific Garden Mission, Mission in downtown Chicago And he heard the singing from inside and he just sort of wandered in and there he heard the the message of the gospel and uh, the alcoholic baseball player got saved and became uh, a a preacher. Now, Billy Sunday was a Presbyterian, but he was one that preached the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, He was famous in his heyday in the 1920s. Uh, When Billy Sunday would come to a city like Philadelphia, New York, and so forth, they would build a wooden tabernacle that was able to seat 10 to 15,000 people. He would preach multiple times a day, and sometimes his, his crusades would last for two to three months in one given city. How many have heard of Prohibition? There was an amendment to our Constitution banning the sale of alcohol. The ministry of Billy Sunday was credited with bringing that about because uh, he preached so strongly against uh, the, the, uh, the, the evils of alcohol because of, of his background in that. Um, he was one of these guys. I've, I've been to his home in Winona Lake, Indiana. They have uh, some of his Bibles on display and some of his sermon outlines, handwritten sermon outlines. And uh, I'd always heard it said, but I saw that it was a reality. Uh, My outline is written in in my chicken scratch that only I can read. His were written in letters about this high, often in red ink. Um, And it was done that way because he was such an active preacher. uh, As he would run by, he'd look at his sermon outline to get the next point because he'd be over here, uh, that type of thing. He was just one of those dynamic, energized uh, type of people there are videos of, on YouTube of Billy Sunday from the 1920s, early, early motion pic, moving pictures uh, of him preaching. Uh, by the early 1930s, 
Um, America was changing. The, the Great Depression had set in by the late 1930s. His heyday was over. His heyday was over. My mom heard Billy Sunday preach in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, when she was a little girl in the 1930s. Um, and she remembers when he came there. By the time Billy Sundays was at the end of his life and ministry, he was no longer preaching to 10 and 15 and 20,000 people. He was preaching to 100, 200 people. Popularity waned, but his message never changed. He wasn't preaching based on the size of the crowd. He was, based, he was preaching based on the quality of the truth. And God's word doesn't change. That was the Apostle Paul in every way. So he's, he's been in prison for two years. This is the man, I was not obedient, uh, disobedient under the heavenly vision. And here he is standing before um, King Agrippa, and he's still preaching the same message. He said, verse 21, for these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, remember the Lord appeared to him, said, said, as you've preached for me, been a witness to me in Jerusalem, so you will be at Rome also. Uh, he said, having obtained help of God, I continue unto this day. And notice this, witnessing both to small and great. He's witnessing to a king right now. He's witnessed to Festus, the governor. He witnessed to Felix, the governor. He's witnessed to the Sanhedrin, but he's witnessing to everybody else in between. He's not Plain favorites, everybody's open to the gospel. Sometimes we're tempted to pick and choose a little bit. Sometimes we're looking at individuals saying, well, that person wouldn't be interested, or that person looks too rough, that person looks too hard. Paul said, I just witnessed all of them, small and great. Why? Because Christ died for all of them. There's nobody that God doesn't want to hear the message of the gospel. One day he would stand before Nero. At this time in Paul's life, Nero is not the insane murdering guy that he would eventually become. History says he was a fairly good ruler as a young emperor, but one day he would stand before Nero. Uh, and this, at that time, Nero was uh, not a good guy, but Paul would tell him about Christ. Um, he was a faithful man and witnessing both to small and great saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. That Christ should suffer, that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And that is the gospel message. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Paul didn't trim his message uh, based on the crowd that he was standing in front of. And so Agrippa is hearing the, uh, the same message that Paul preaches everywhere. Um, and look at verse 24. Um, as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Festus sitting in the room. Listening to all this, it's not his first time because Paul's already talked to him about it. And Festus interrupts. I don't know if he's under conviction. Remember, he's a Roman. This is news to him in some ways. Um, and he just blurts out in the, in the middle of Paul's testimony, you're crazy. Uh, you, you, you've been studying so much, it's warped your brain. You're, you're, just, you're a crazy guy. Um, 
It's always fun when somebody interrupts a sermon like that, you know, with things. I've been yelled at in the middle of sermons and all that kind of stuff. Um, one time I was teaching Sunday school in Pennsylvania, and a lady had gotten saved and had been coming to church and grown in the Lord. And uh, it was probably two-thirds of the way into Sunday school. All of a sudden, the back doors, George, you were in that little auditorium sitting up in the hillside. The back doors of the auditorium opened up, and this guy came in, and he just yelling, big guy, uh, yelling all this stuff uh, about his wife being brainwashed and, and uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Every lady in that room was scared to death, uh, thought she was going to die. A couple of our men just got up and started walking back, and uh, nobody tackled him or anything. They just slowly started walking him back out, uh, got him outside and tried to calm him down and all that kind of stuff. And uh, very different spirit for the rest of Sunday school that day. Trying to bring it back from that was really disconcerting. By the way, the guy eventually got saved. The guy eventually got saved. You never know what God's going to do with somebody uh, and, and so forth. So Festus is interrupting this, this whole thing. Um, Paul answers verse 25, but he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus. Notice Festus is not behaving very nobly. Is that a word, no, nobly? He's not, he's not behaving very nice, okay? But Paul doesn't insult him. He still respects him. I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. The word soberness there means soundness. This isn't flimsy stuff. This isn't make-believe. This is not fairy tales. Um, again, um, he says in verse 22, uh, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. Now, Festus wouldn't have a respect for the scriptures. He was a Roman. It's hard to tell what kinds of gods, goddesses, or religion that he was a part of. And so he wouldn't, he wouldn't uh, see the Bible as the established word of God but Paul is, is declaring that that's exactly what it is. I speak forth the words of truth and soberness. And he turns away from Festus, who clearly isn't interested in this. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a, quarter, in a corner. Talking about the death, burial, the resurrection of Christ. Josephus was a Jewish historian. Uh, somewhere, uh, it's probably in a box at home, I have a book entitled The Complete Works of Josephus. It's a hardbound book. It's about this thick. Um, instead of having just, like my Bible has two, two columns of writing on each page, a normal book we get just has you know one column of writing on a page. The works of Josephus, I think, are four columns per page, very fine print. He was a Jewish man who traveled with the Roman armies. Um, he was very well acquainted. He lived at the time of Christ. Josephus was an eyewitness to the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. He was stationed with the armies of Titus, the Roman general that brought about that destruction. Um, and so he's one of the few eyewitness historians. That doesn't mean everything he says is reliable or whatever. But he does give some insight into characters that are mentioned, especially uh, in the New Testament for us. 
This man, Agrippa, Joseph, uh, Josephus described him as uh, a man of mild personality. He was a very candid, ingenuous man. Uh, it, he was sort of an open book. What you saw is what you got. He, he didn't, he wasn't into the deceit and so forth as some leaders at that time, uh, that, that time were. Josephus says he had no hostility towards Christians whom he knew and felt were unjustly accused of sedition. So this guy that Paul's witnessing to has a different mindset than the Sanhedrin or any of the Roman governors. He's, he's got some understanding of things. And Paul now goes from his defense, why he was there, what he's been accused of and so forth. He shared that his message is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 27, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? That would be really encompassing the Old Testament. I know that thou believest. Either Paul knew by, by Herod's, Agrippa's reputation, or maybe he saw conviction coming over that king as he preached. There have been times when I've witnessed to people one-on-one, sometimes when I've preached, and I see the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes tears are coming down their face. Sometimes they're almost trembling uh, about things. And other times it's like they're bored to death. You know, they're not paying much attention, uh, whatever. It appears that Agrippa was, was uh, uh, gripped by Paul's message. He, was there, he said, I know that thou believest. Verse 28 is one of the most famous yet saddest verses from the book of Acts. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Very nearly. I'm, you, you got me that close. Um, I, I understand what you're saying. And um, unlike Felix, who said, I'll call you when I have a convenient time um, and just put it off for fear because he wanted to please the Jews. And Festus, who it seems like just went right over his head, much learning doth make thee mad. It appears that, that Agrippa was that close to getting saved. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. The songwriter wrote the, the song, Almost Persuaded. I think it's in our songbook. Um, that's a sad place to be. Almost isn't good enough. When it comes to salvation, you're either saved or you're lost. You're either born again or you're not. There's no, there's no in between. There's no evidence from scripture, no evidence from history that Agrippa ever got saved. For a man of his stature, if he truly had gotten saved, gotten baptized, one would think that the Holy Spirit would record that for us in the book of Acts, or it would have become sort of a matter of common knowledge written down in the history of individuals like Josephus. So he got close. We're not sure why he didn't get saved. A lot of reasons why people almost get saved but won't make that decision. Sometimes it's the fear of man. Sometimes it's the love of sin. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Some are afraid of what their friends are going to say. I, I told you that some years ago when, before Anna got married, she worked at Starbucks. She worked with a young man who was in the, uh, the Army Reserve, very sharp, a very nice young man, intelligent young man. 
And Anna had been sharing her faith there at work and uh, encouraged him to come and talk with me. The young man was homosexual. He's, you, you wouldn't have guessed it because he, he wasn't flamboyant. He wasn't feminine in any way. Uh, he's as masculine as any man you'd ever want to see. And we sat down and talked in my office. Uh, and by the way, I was kind with him. Uh, I wanted him to see the love of Christ. Christ died for sinners, amen, just like that. And I shared the gospel with him, and we, we went through all of the scripture. He asked questions. I, I tried to give scriptural answer for everything. And uh, he, he, he was crying. He was, he was having an Agrippa moment. He said, I believe that what you're saying is true. But if I get saved, all of my friends will turn against me. And I mean turn against me badly. He said, um, they use the word gay for this lifestyle. He said, it's anything but. He said, it's an empty, empty lifestyle. He said, but again, if I... If I do what you're telling me, I will lose all my friends. And, and I, I can't force anybody to get saved. I, I can encourage them. And I, I did my best humanly without crossing a boundary there. And the young man left almost persuaded. I, don't, I, don't, I never saw him again. Uh, I, I, I don't know whatever became of him. I've, I've thought him of over the years and hoped and prayed that he would take the message to heart and come to trust Christ as Savior. But there's a lot of reasons why people say almost. Um, may I say this? It's, it's not our job to make people get saved. It's our job to tell them how to get saved. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them of, of sin and draw them. But God's not going to force anybody to get saved. Paul responded to Agrippa in verse 29. And Paul said, I would to God that... Not thou, not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am except these bonds. He said, not just almost a Christian, but altogether, jump in all the way. He said, I wish everybody here that's listening today would do that without my change, without my imprisonment. When he had thus spoken, the king rose up and the governor, and Bernice, that's Agrippa's wife, and they sat with them, they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, this man doeth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Remember, Festus wanted Agrippa to come take over because he needed to have something to write to Caesar to justify sending a Roman citizen there. It's a matter, Festus should have let him go free, but willing to do the Jews a favor he didn't so Paul appealed to Caesar then said Agrippa unto Festus this man might have been set at liberty I would have done it I'd have set him free had he if he had not appealed unto Caesar but he's already appealed to Caesar and we can't violate that he has every right to go before him now and so uh, Paul is about to uh, leave Palestine leave the land of Israel for the very last time in his life and he's, begin, he's going to begin an incredible journey in chapter 27, and we'll pick that up next Wednesday evening. What an incredible witness. What a faithful witness. What a good example, amen? What a sad testimony, story about Agrippa. Almost, almost. 
If you didn't get saved, you understand that he is in, he's in that hell with the rich man in the story in, in that uh, Jesus told in Luke chapter 16. He's been there for 2,000 years. He's a man who knew the gospel, who heard the gospel from one of the greatest Christians who's ever lived. Can you imagine the recriminations he must have? Why didn't I get saved? Why didn't I get saved? My reasons for not trusting Christ didn't matter. They, they don't know why I'm in this place. I was, I was almost there. I just wouldn't do it. If you're here tonight, if you're listening via the live stream and you've never been saved, almost persuaded, please become all together and take that, take that step of faith and trust Christ as your personal savior. Can we bow our heads for prayer? How many of us tonight?